we're so glad you're here this morning. I want to welcome uh, those joining us online as well, too. I want to welcome those in the room. This is, you're new with us today. We're extra glad that you're with us. And we've been in a series uh, called Vintage Faith. And kind of before I kind of share this morning, I um, want to share about a time when I was about five years old or six when I was uh, in kindergarten and we were given a lump of clay. And the project was that we were to make something, the value, something that was nice that we could give to our, our parents, our mom, our dad, our grandparents or something, and uh, something that they would appreciate, something they would enjoy. And I looked at the kid next to me, and he was formulating something. I was like, man, that looks kind of easy. What's he making? And my dad was a pastor. My, my mom was his uh, uh, secretary for years. And um, so what better gift than what the kid was making next door to, uh, next, sitting right next to me, he was making his parents an ashtray. And so I thought I'd make my, kid, my parents an ashtray. And so it just looked easy. It went really fast and it didn't take very long. We were able to go on to play and do something else. And uh, I didn't quite, um, now that would have been a very thoughtful gift. I'd been for Grandpa Peterson. He was a couple day a pack smoker. And so that would have been a very thoughtful gift to give him. But for my parents, not so much. So I had a, I think I made a green one the first year of kindergarten. I didn't learn anything. The second year I made a red one. So we had matching red and green. Each parent had a nice ashtray that they were able to, the whole purpose that I did that was I was just trying to get it done. I just wanted to be over with, and I just wanted to move on to the next thing. I just checked it off the list. Wasn't really thoughtful, wasn't a lot of um, value to that. And that is an example of the opposite of what we've been talking about in this series called Vintage Faith. Uh, vintage, the, the definition of vintage is a time something of quality was produced. I just gave you an example of something that was not of quality that was produced. But the idea here is uh, vintage is producing something of quality. And for our purposes here, this is vintage faith. We want to produce something quality, a, a quality faith, a quality life. And that starts with a quality spiritual life. As we said last week, you know, physical air exercise profits some, but godliness is benefits for everything and all things. And so it's, it's the start. And so the goal of this series is to produce in us a quality spiritual life. And really what that means is we've, we're looking at seven habits or what we're calling seven vintage habits of, that have, believers have done for centuries, that have done for, for hundreds of years. These uh, time-tested, true uh, habits are something that helps us grow in our faith. Now, faith starts with Jesus Christ. Faith starts with a relationship with Jesus, uh, asking him to come into our heart, to, to become the Lord and Savior of our life, to, to forgive us of our sins, and to begin that journey with him. That is faith. We're saved by grace through faith so that no one can brag about it, no one can boast about it. But to have a, a growing faith and a vintage faith, that is to, uh, is to grow in that, is there's, there's effort on our part. And so we've been talking about those practices. Um, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Nate talked about uh, vintage faith, and one of those practices is authentic community, authentic Christian community that we're made for each other. We're made for one another. We weren't meant to be lone range Christians. We're meant to be in relationship. I love something Pastor Nate said uh, when he said, if you're not in a, a group or a, a, a group of believers, a life group or a, a serve group or a group where you're connecting with other believers, if you're not engaged uh, with the church, you are robbing other people of your story. I, I love that. But I also thought about this. Not only are you robbing other people of your story, you're robbing yourself. 
You're robbing yourself of what the things that God wants to do in you through having Christian community. Last week we talked about biblical engagement as a practice, that the more you know, the more you can grow. The more opportunity we have to grow and the more the way that we know someone is to spend time with someone and you can't have a relationship with your your wife or, or anyone of importance and not spend time with them. And one of the ways that we grow and spend time with God is engaging in the Scripture, engaging in His love letter to us, engaging in the Bible. Today is a third practice uh, for effective Christians, and we're calling it joyful generosity. It's one of the things of a growing Christian is to grow in generosity. Now, for many years, so my 24 years of pastoring and ministry, for many years, I gave a disclaimer at this point. I would give an apology. And the only disclaimer that I would say is if you're new here today, this is your second time, this message, you can honestly kind of set this one out. This isn't for you. We give because of you. We're, well, that's the reason that we give is we had you in mind. But today, I don't apologize for it anymore because Jesus doesn't apologize for it. Jesus never apologized for preaching or teaching on money. 11 of his 39 parables, nearly 30% of the stories he told involved money. Why? Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our, our heart follows what we treasure. And, and we put our money on the things that we treasure. If you looked at Heather and I in our bank account, you would see that Reagan and Riley are very important uh, to us, that we spend a lot of money that direction. We spend more money on traveling than we used to because it takes effort to, to go see them and, and to do those things. You know what's important to you by where you invest your money. Nothing wrong with that. But Jesus knows where our treasure is, our heart will be also. So I would rather say that if I'm gonna apologize for anything today, it's apologizing for not speaking about money and giving and stewardship enough. Because when I don't speak about it, when I don't share God's word about what God has to say about it, I'm denying you of joy. I'm denying you of a growing, vibrant, vit vital relationship in your relationship with Christ. And so today I am uh, sharing this because giving is vintage, joyful generosity. And so this morning, don't just take my words for it. Take the words from the Apostle Paul, Acts 20, 35. Uh, Dr. Luke wrote this, uh, this uh, book of the Bible. He was quoting the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul was actually quoting Jesus with these words. Paul said, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know this. You guys got this. Um, all of you have this, especially if you're a parent or a grandparent. You really get this. Christmas is coming up. It's on the way. And you know now when you are getting ready for Christmas, it's way more fun for you to watch your kids and your grandkids open up the gifts than for you to receive and open up the gifts. You guys totally understand. You totally get this principle. And yet... I wonder why sometimes we revert back to children in, in, our, in, in being reluctant to give. This means actually you're going to experience greater joy and greater happiness when you give. You experience greater happiness and joy from giving to your kids and grandkids in the same way we receive joy in our relationship with God when we grow in joyful generosity. My, uh, I'm thinking of... Uh, uh, the little bags of candy, uh, M&M's, Skittles. 
You know this, when you give your children, your preschoolers, little three, four-year-olds, you give them some M&Ms, you give them some Skittles, you give them a bag, they're excited to open it up, and you know this, you've done this probably, when you say, hey, can I have one? And if you got a, real, if you got a good kid, he's gonna give you one. And then you say, you know, I want another M&M, and if it's a really good kid, they're gonna give you two. And then if you ask for another one and they're a really, really, really good kid, they're going to give you three. But every child has his limits. And you start asking for too many, they start holding on to that tight and they start, their attitude changes and they start looking at you a little grumpy. And they're starting to think, how dare you take Emmy Moore? These M&Ms are mine. And I think that's what we do with God is we are the benefactor of all that he's given. And we know that when we give those M&Ms or we give those Skittles, we know that we're the ones that supplied them. We're the ones that purchased them. We're the ones that provided for them. And we know that we can buy more of them and we can make, uh, buy so many of them, we can make their tummies upset. We can make them sick to their stomach. We have that ability to buy them so much. And our God is the same way. Our loving Heavenly Father, He has provided our jobs. He's provided our resources. He's the one that owns it all. And He's asking us to give a little bit back to Him. And it's a matter of trust. Will we trust Him with this? Paul says you can trust God. And an effective way to grow in your trust with the Lord is to grow in joyful generosity. The Apostle Paul talked about this extensively to some churches, especially the church in Corinth. And in the church in Corinth, in um, one of those places, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have each decided, that's an important word today, what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered the gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed or supplies those Skittles or supplies those M&Ms to the sower and the bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. If you want to pull out your notes today, this is where the notes begin. I'm just going to share quickly five principles that Paul gives us for joyful generosity. Paul's giving principle. This first one is this. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Uh, we know that in, if you uh, don't study, you're not going to get good grades. If you don't practice, you're not going to get better in whatever sport you're in. You have to sow to reap it. And, and if you don't sow and practice during the week, you're not going to win on Friday night. Now, that doesn't mean that we always win. This is a principle. We reap what we sow. Uh, it's a principle. that it, it happens more likely than it doesn't. doesn't mean it always happens, but we, we are going to reap what we sow. And if we're, going to reap, if we're going to sow a generous life, we're going to reap generosity. If we're going to sow a stingy, selfish life, we're going to reap a selfish, stingy life. The second principle Paul gives us is decide 
to be a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. There's two ways we can give. We can give reluctantly. We can give out a compulsion. We can give out a guilt. Those aren't the ways that we're, God designs. He, he, he made us to be like him, to give out a heart of gratitude and decide, and we each have to decide, are we going to be a cheerful giver? We're going to give the, bat, the M&Ms and the, and the Skittles away, or are we going to hold on to it for ourselves? The third principle Paul gives is when you give, you can trust God to provide for your needs. And God is able to bless you abundantly. We don't serve a God of scarcity. We serve a God of abundance. We serve a God that is able to do above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. I want to be very clear. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not preaching a name it, claim it. This isn't you give and you get the Ferrari and the new house. That's not what this is. If I was preaching, if, if, if we were preaching prosperity gospel, it would go against the, the apostle Paul. He was shipwrecked, beaten, thrown into prison. Following Jesus doesn't mean an easy life, but it is a joyful life. It is a good life. It is a life of joy and happiness. When focusing on him giving, uh, you can trust God. Giving is an act of trusting. The fourth principle Paul gives us, he's, God says, use your giving. God uses your giving to make you effective and a fruitful Christian. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But God uses this to grow us to make us fruitful, to make us effective, to make us more like him because God is a giver. And finally, fifthly, God replenishes what you give so you can give more. It's that end of that ba- ba- bag of Skittles. It's the end of that bag of M&Ms. We can supply and resource our kids. We can give them more. We give them so much more than that. God gives us so much more. And and it really is trusting that God is going to replenish what we have. Giving is an attitude of trust. And this is what I believe, and this is kind of going back to four. God is looking for those who he can trust the keys to his kingdom with. God is looking for people and his children he can trust the keys to his kingdom with. That God uses your giving to make you effective and fruitful Christian. He uses our generosity to make us more like him. It's like one of my friends who was talking about his four kids. And I think one of them was like fifth grade girl and a first grade son. And he said, I love my kids equally. I love all my, and you're the same. You, you love your kids equally. Not, you don't love one more than the other. They accuse us sometimes of loving one more than, one more than the other. But probably what they're talking about is trust. My friend was talking about his fifth grader daughter and his first grade son. He goes, I love them equally, but I don't trust them equally. I don't trust my first grader like I trust my fifth grader. Some of you have adult children. You love them equally, but you don't trust them equally. Maybe from decisions that they've made. But we love our children equally, but we may not trust them equally. And God is the same with us. God loves us equally. He doesn't love you more than he loves me. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. He doesn't love your neighbor next the, more than he loves you. God loves you equally, but God doesn't trust us equally. I believe God is looking for people he can trust the keys of his kingdom with. I, I believe that we see that when we, when we think about um, the, uh, the um, parable of the five 
of the five talents or the five bags of gold. We have Jesus shares the story about that the master or the owner gave one, uh, one five bags of gold. He gave another one two bags of gold and he gave one, one bag of gold and he, and he came back and the one had turned the five bags of gold into 10 bags of gold. The other had turned the two bags of gold into four bags of gold and the one had, was afraid and he just sat on it, didn't do anything with it and Jesus gave a harsh rebuke in, in that story. He said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that you could have at least put it in the bank to draw interest. But because you have not given, I am going to give that to the one who has 10. Because I love you all equally. This has nothing to do with love. But I can trust you to take what I've given you to advance my kingdom. To do what I've asked each of you to do. God loves us equally, but he's asking us to build, be kingdom builders. Second Chronicles 16.9 in the Old Testament shares the same principle. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him or where your treasure is. God is looking to strengthen us. All of the commands that God has given us is for our protection. All of his promises are for our benefit. Everything that God has given us in his word, it's for our protection, it's for our, it's for our strength. God is looking, he's looking throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And when we trust God with our lives, when we trust him with our finances, when we trust him with our relationship, he will strengthen us when we put our hope and our trust in him. And then the last part kind of takes you back. It says, you have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. Well, what's going on here? Well, we picked up in the middle of this story. So to understand where this story is going and what's going on here, Asa, the king of Judah, was being attacked by Basha, king of Israel. And rather than trust God like he'd done many times before, this time he took matters into his own hands. He thought, man, I'm, a, I'm about to be overtaken. So he actually takes from the treasury of the Lord to help fund, to, uh, to get an ally that God would not want him to align with. And, and I'm just gonna give you the story. Starting in verse two, Asa then, the, then took the silver and the gold out of the treasury of the Lord's temple. He took matters into his own hands. He, he, by his own thinking and thought, he goes, this is the only way I see out. And versus looking to the Lord and trusting in him like he'd done before, he took from the treasury of the Lord's temple and of his own palace, and he sent it to Ben-Hadid, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with the king of King Asa, and he sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered uh, Leon, or what is that? Uh, Ejon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the store cities of Nephali, love all these words. When Basha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah and they carried away from Ramah the stones, the timber that Basha had been using. With them he built Geba and Mizpah. Everything's going right, basically. 
Everything in his mind, he's come up with a plan. His plan is good. He's got an ally. He's, he's paying him to go against these. I mean, Israel and Judah are like two big brothers. I'm a big brother, little brother, they're fighting. You got 10 of Israel, of the tribe. They're much stronger than the two of Judah. And Israel's coming against Judah because two brothers are at fight. It's a battle going on within the family. Eventually, they would come back together. But right now, they're not together. And Israel is coming against Judah. And Judah, instead of going to God, like he'd done in the past, like he'd done many times before. Asa, he went to his, one of his enemies in an alliance and said, hey, would you come with me and would you go against Israel with me? And so he goes against, uh, and doesn't seek God out first, comes up with his own plan. And friends, sometimes we make our own plan. We try to take control of a situation because we can be controlling and we want to be in control of situations. We use our own understanding. We lean on all our own understanding instead of looking to God. And the plan may even look like it's working. It may feel like it's working. Things seem to be making sense. But the reality is if it's not God's plan, it's not a good plan. Even if it looks like it's working out in the short term, it doesn't bode well in the long term. And so we see in the next verse, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Aram, God's been watching, because you relied on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. They may be your allies right now, your plan may look like it's working well right now, but this is going to backfire on you. And I'll let you read the rest of the chapter. You can see it for yourself, but I'll just finish with verse 9. We're not the Cushites, verse 8, ver, ver, were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand? I've been faithful to you? And then he finishes with this, for the eyes of the Lord reigns throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. But you have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. The rest of the chapter has an interesting, I don't have time for it today, but the rest of the chapter is an interesting story, and it doesn't bode well. Asa doesn't learn from his mistakes. Friends, God is looking for people who will fully trust in him because he wants to strengthen us. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to help us. Giving is an area of trust. You trusting God. God trusting you. There was a bunch of ladies in our first service, about 35 of them, that had flown mostly from California for Pastor Christie's mom's 60th birthday. Pastor Christie's mom's been battling cancer for the last four and a half years and uh, 35 of her friends flew in for a three-day birthday weekend. And uh, we got invited last night for some cake and some fun. And we had church last night. I want to tell you, I almost didn't show up today. We already had church last night. And hearing their testimonies and God's faithfulness. And one of the things that was described of Kelly, Christy's mom, was her generosity and the generous life that she's lived. And um, in that, uh, a few weeks ago, I thought they were going to have their own service. It was a surprise at the last minute that they came to our first service this morning. I already had this planned out whether they were going to be here or not. But um, there's a story from my last church in Bakersfield about trust. Trusting when it doesn't make sense. Friends, we all have decisions at times 
are we going to trust God? Now, it's easy to trust God when everything makes sense. But when things don't make sense in our lives sometimes, which is often the case, are we still going to trust God that he's good, that he's faithful, that he's going to be there for us in the mountaintops or in the valleys? And there was a, a story from, that I came across that Kelly, uh, Christy's mom, ended up being here this morning. And I didn't share the, the last names in this because Bakersfield's still a small enough community. I thought they might know one another. It's not bad, but I only shared um, Christy's mom, Kelly, is the one, the full name. But this was from my encouragement file. If you don't have an encouragement file, I want to encourage you, get an encouragement file. I keep a file in my drawer for moments when I get discouraged. And I pull out of that file letters, notes, some of them from my girls, some of them from Heather, some of them from past churches, people, notes, emails, because we all battled discouragement at time. And I was preparing this message and I came across this letter from about 2013 that I received. And it says, hi, Pastor Kent, from my last church. It says, I'm so excited to share our story with you. It's been unfolding for the last five years and it's been one of the most powerful ways I have ever seen God's presence in my life. Kyle, that's her husband, was a high school science teacher in 2008 and 2009. He hated it and was miserable. That was also when education was cutting teachers left and right. So when he was released at the end of his first year, we knew it was God's way of saying that that job wasn't for you. And he was let go of in 2009. Of course, we remember the bubble, the housing bubble and the, the crash of 2008 and the few years that followed. So this is during a hard time. He was, he was he let go in June of 2009. She said, we, we thought he would find work soon with his degree in science. The months began to pass and he still had no job. We stopped tithing in June to have every single penny to pay the bills. Makes sense. We both started experiencing anxiety. We fought all the time. We had just bought our first house in August of 2008. Couldn't have bought a house at a worse time. And I couldn't see us lasting much longer before we started losing it. Every time I needed to think or do something with money, my heart would race and my stomach would get in knots. In November, Kyle was still unemployed, so nearly six months later. I kept on praying to God to please give Kyle a job anywhere, but still nothing happened. I was going to a women's Bible study at Kelly Taylor's house, and that's Pastor Christie's mom. I shared with a small group of women that Kyle had been unemployed for months, and I didn't know how we were going to keep on going. Lori, a lady from the Bible study, straight out asked me, are you tithing? It hit me like a ton of bricks. I wanted to tithe, but then how could I pay the bills? She encouraged me to find a way to tithe, and God would do the rest. I went home to Kyle and told him that I thought we needed to start tithing and trusting God. He agreed. We found a way to tithe in November. We, found, we, we tithed again in December. Finally, at the end of December, God provided Kyle with a job. It wasn't his dream job, but it made ends meet. We have continued tithing faithfully since November of 2009, and we haven't stopped seeing God's faithfulness. Kyle's dream job has been to be a firefighter. He approached me in the fall of 2011 and said he wanted to start pursuing that career. He knew that the Bakersfield City Department was going to start the hiring process in January of 2012. So he went to take the first test to start the hiring process with more than 600 other people. 
After several months, tests, interviews, background checks, that number of 600 got whittled down to a list of 11 men that they were hiring. And because of God's faithfulness, Kyle was number five. Everyone knows how hard it is to become a firefighter. Most men test around 10 up to 20 times with the fire departments before they get hired. Kyle was hired the very first time. I know he's smart. I love this. I know he's smart, handsome guy, but I know that would have never happened without God guiding Kyle every step of the way. Thank you for letting us share our story, Diane. I love stories of God's faithfulness because we serve a faithful God. We serve a God that wants us to trust everything of our lives to him, to make, us, make him Lord of everything in our life. It may not be money for you today. It may be a relationship. It may be your future. It may be your past, surrendering that to him. But God wants you to trust him with everything. He's a loving heavenly father who is holding you in the palm of his hands. He does, he's like a good father. You wouldn't want to drop your kids. He's not going to drop you. So I love stories of God's faithfulness and how he's been faithful. And I love this young couple from Bakersfield and reminded of their story this last week of what God was faithful in their life. And I'm sure he has continued to be faithful to them. So my questions for us today is this. Can God trust you? Can God trust you? And can we trust God? It's really what giving comes down to. Giving really comes down. Joyful generosity really is not a love issue. It's a trust issue. It's do I trust God to have the best for me and does God trust me with the keys to his kingdom to advance it? Will you take your next step of obedience and trust God with your money or will you have a grow in a vintage faith? Authentic community is a part of that. Biblical engagement is a part of that growing and have a vibrant, authentic uh, vintage faith. Giving is a part of that. Some of us aren't growing because we haven't trusted God with our finances and we're not giving. And we're, we're wondering sometimes why we're stuck. We're, we're called to trust God with every area of our life and we have more messages come about with vintage faith. But this is maybe one of the most difficult for people because it's tough to trust God. And it's tough not to put our faith and our trust in ourselves because we feel like we can make sense of it. And it's a matter of trusting God. So I want to give you three decisions to help you grow in joyful generosity. Three decisions to help you take steps in your faith in joyful generosity. The first is this, probably the most important, is just priority to decide. Every single one of us has to come to a place where we make a decision. One is we, the best is we have to come to make a decision. What are we going to do with Jesus Christ? Are we going to make him our, our Savior and our Lord? Are we going to trust him with our life and ask him to forgive us of our sin? That's the most important decision that you can make. That's the start of your faith. But one of the ways that we grow and become spiritually alive is by making a decision. God, I'm going to trust you with everything. I'm going to trust you with my treasure. I'm going to trust you that you know my finances. You know my future. And, and for some of you this morning, I totally believe that you can trust God with 10%. God 
ask us to begin with a tithe, to begin at 10%. But about 15 years ago, I had a change in my preaching because sometimes I grew up with this. My parents taught me this, so it kind of became easy for those. If you grow up with something, it's easier. But man, this is a hard thing. If you're jumping into this, or maybe you've been in the church a long time, but it's just one of those things. It's like, man, I don't know where to go with this. I was talking with Pastor Christie about this in that letter, and she said, you know, there was, I remember when our giving journey began, and you were preaching a message, and one of the things you said in that message was, start somewhere. If, if you can't trust God with 10%, start at 2%, or start at 3%. And start with your first, don't start with your leftovers. If you wait to give leftovers, no, number one, you won't have it. Number two is God's deserving of so much better than our leftovers. When you get that check, give him the first, give him off the top saying, I trust you. And she said, I remember that Nate and I remember you saying, if you'll start somewhere, we started at two or 3%. And that was freeing for us because 10% seemed like going to the moon and back for us at that season and time in our lives. So we began our journey at two and 3% and we began that journey, which is the second decision that's important. And that's, you gotta decide on a percentage. So three decisions to become a joyful, enjoy, growing in joyful generosity. One, you have to make decide, I'm going to be a giver. The second is you got to decide the amount. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to do it consistently. But the second thing is you have to decide what it is. For Nate and Christie, it was 2 or 3%. This last week, I had the opportunity Tuesday to fly out to Florida, come back Friday. It was de- delayed by a week because of the hurricane. And so um, I got a chance to spend time with Reagan. She still worked during the day, so I got to have lunch with her in the evenings with her. But we just got to catch up. This is the kind of first time living out on our own. It was a couple months. And so we kind of did the father-daughter thing. We kind of looked at finances a little bit. We went over those things, looked at budget a little bit more. And, um, and I, one of the things I was most excited about as we were kind of reviewing her checking account was to see a tithe to First Church of the Nazarene, Hutchison, Kansas. And in my mind, if I'm honest, because it's her first kind of out on her own, it's like a, you know, a teacher's salary in a state that costs a lot more money than it does in Kansas. Her and her roommate split the apartment rent of 2000 It's more than our mortgage, you know. Thankfully, they have each other, and they split that down the middle. But um, I, there's a part of me as a dad that's wanting to protect her and saying, you know what, God understands. And I wanted to almost have this conversation with her. Just start with less. You know, do something, don't not give anything. And I never had that conversation with her, but I was tempted to have that with her. How, how, why would I rob Reagan of that joy? Why would I rob Reagan of that trust in her relationship and her journey with the Lord? You might think, why is she tithing to us? Doesn't she, shouldn't she be tithing in Florida? She hasn't found a church yet. They're on church number nine. I mean, they have, they're searching. They're trying to find that place of authentic community. You can pray that they find it. Her and her roommate are going to a different place. They've only gone back to one place twice. If you're looking for a church, man, I'm just empathizing with you through my daughter that it can be tough to find a church. We hope that we do a, a good job in making you feel like you belong here, that you have a place, a, a place of belonging and acceptance here. We want to be that for you. But I understand there's some great churches they've gone to, but it hasn't fit for them. But I'm, I'm thankful that she's experiencing the joy of trusting God with her finances, knowing that God's going to take care of her. And the last thing is this, is progressive giving. Three decisions to joyful. First, make a decision. Make it a priority. Two, make it a percentage. Then three, grow in your giving. Ten percent is a good starting place. Or if you're starting below that, that's okay too. But 
10% is just a, a launching pad. And if God is um, blessing you and helping you, it's, it's good to look for those opportunities to trust God. And maybe it's time to go to 11 or 12%, or maybe it's time to do some special things to advance his kingdom. If, if I would say this, if you can give without thinking about it or without praying about it, are we really trusting God with it anymore? If we can do it on our own, I think our giving, no matter what level we are, whether we're on a teacher's salary or a doctor's salary or an entrepreneur's salary, whatever we've been giving, I think there needs to be an element of prayerful trust and obedience. That we're saying, God, it's all yours to begin with, so it's yours. And what you ask, I will trust you with. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your love for us. First, I want to just reiterate this morning through this prayer, God, that there's nothing that we can do to earn your love, your favor, your salvation, that we're saved by grace through faith, that you love all of us equally. There's not one person you love here more or less, but you love us all the same. But Lord, you have so much more in store for us, and you love it when we trust you with every area, of our, every area of our life, including our finances. Showing you, Lord, that we trust you with our treasure. We trust you to take care of us, to provide for us. We trust you with our future. So God, I pray that wherever we are in our faith journey in this area today, that you would give us each what we need to take that next step, knowing that we can trust you to take and provide for us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Grow our faith today in becoming joyful givers. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next Sunday, and uh, hope you have a great week.